broke this thing and we were in France. Did we overload it? We definitely broke it. Because <sighs> it's not even lighting up. And I tried four different outlets. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the situation right now. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal. Rob, how's it been going for you? Well, Connor does all this stupid stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, really good. I mean, it's been... I guess I've been here almost two weeks. Uh, I preached the first weekend, which was fun. And it's been great. I mean, it's a pretty low-key place in the summer. There's a school, um, but obviously none of the kids are here. So yeah. I helped out at the Vacation Bible School like my first week, which was pretty fun getting to, like, via that, getting to meet a few of the kids and the families and stuff. So, um, yeah, getting settled in, but... It's good, man. Actually, uh, Sister Alicia stopped by. She was driving back from her retreat oh, yeah. yesterday. From St. Louis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so I got to catch up with her, which was, uh, yeah, really, really good. But I was just, you know, I think when people have been asking me that, it's just, yeah, nothing like crazy. But I don't know. It's just good to be here, man. It's good to be close to home. Um yeah, I mean, it hasn't, it's been busy, but not swamped. Like, it's just going to be, I think it's going to be a very cool, very cool summer. So, I don't know. There's been other graces and stuff like that, but that's the quick synopsis is, yeah. it's just good to be a deacon, dude. It is really good to be a deacon. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, good. Yeah. yeah. Is, the, is the pastor good? Yeah, he's really good. Yep. He's, uh, I'm trying to think, I think he just turned 60. Um, but just, yeah, really good, faithful, faithful priest. And honestly, he's been a lot of fun just getting to know, to know him. And, um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's been, it's like just seeing, and I, I've been in parishes before, but I guess never like, yeah, I guess never in this context, but he's been really good about taking me through just different aspects about how the, like the parish runs and Connor, you probably have a better and better appreciation of this, of like how the books are kept and like what things you have to do a certain way and other things that are like, you know, are, are looser and like how they're, well, not looser and how they're recorded, but, um, but are just, you know, like what's kind of individual to this parish and stuff like that. So yeah. it's been very eye opening, dude. A pastor has a lot on his plate all the time um so he balances it really well though which is cool and um people have been great yeah i don't know past that it's just uh it's just such a different feeling being at i mean the pastor's been here 15 years and it's a very like it's an older like neighborhood part of decatur which isn't a huge town um but it's just it's like it's an established place, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, even like the like the talks that we've had about it, like evangelization and stuff like that, it's just um, 
it's just so different than like the fluidity of a college campus or like talking about it at a seminary. Um, Cause you do, you just kind of have to like, kind of like sink in roots here almost. Um, so that, that's kind of been my real, like, or at least what's been coming up in my prayer life is just, which I'm really excited about actually, especially next year as a priest to get an assignment for a couple years. And um, yeah, I mean, you just become like part of yeah. part of a place. So I don't know if you found that at Blue Island. Yeah, was, I was just thinking about that yesterday, actually. Really, really. Because it was the first, uh, it was the opening day of wiffle ball season. Yes. This is the third year I played. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I basically know everybody there. I remember yep. the first year I walk in and you're some strange person that they don't know. Mm-hmm. And then somebody's like, oh, this is the priest. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, now I've baptized a few of the kids that come and watch the games and, uh, and other moms that come and watch their husbands play. And yeah, you're just part of the scenery mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, one of the one of the boys right and you don't like uh what i heard you saying with the comparing it to like a college campus or something that is a little bit more fluid the relationships are therefore more fluid you can, people kind of come and go in and out of your life and you make you feel like you make connections that are often like really strong and profound and sometimes transforming either for your own life or the other person and that that's a thrill, but this, there's something to be said too. Maybe it says I'm aging, uh, not a lot, but I'm older now. Um, and your priorities change being 32 than being 22. Um, right. and I just, yeah, it kind of matches up with where I'm at in life. Like I would rather be part of a community family, uh, thing that's a little bit more stable and you're not you're not necessarily seeing like a ton of huge conversions where all of a sudden people change the fundamental direction of their life, but you're, you're an integral part of their, uh, growth as human beings. And, um, and the relationship with God that you're, you're like this necessary, um, although contingent person, like I will eventually have to leave. Um, and they'll mostly right. stay here. So someone will be doing my job in my absence, uh, eventually, but there's, there's just more stability to it, uh, which has its benefits and has its crosses too, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like it honestly a lot. It's interesting of like only going to be here for a summer. So it's just, you know, you kind of get the experience you can and hopefully like form some lasting friendships and stuff. But, um, but it, it's exactly that. And just the realization is like people just have a lot going on, you know, it's just like so many people, families, et cetera. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I love, I love that notion of like real conversions and real, like, you know, friendship with Jesus just oftentimes I'm more and more convinced just like deepens and forms over a, a long course of time, just like the slow, um, well, there's just been a cool, a couple cool stories the pastor here has told me of, you know, just in a sense, kind of like the grace of being here so long and which again comes with its crosses as well, but, you know, has 
like just the notion of people knowing who you are and then years later like just simple interactions kind of adding up to like being willing to talk to you about something or um whatever you know and it's really played a big part in people's conversions and faith and um so i I like it a lot but it's new territory new territory territory for me in a lot of ways of it's just uh you know like like a daily life type type place which is is super cool um but it's just very different yeah i'm getting to uh sort of an own my own little conversion to like a point of um results like we we can pay lip service to this and maybe i still am doing that but results not mattering like mm-hmm. that my being here is enough like if, if i'm living well and doing my job well even if no one can hear what i'm saying or cares what i'm saying and i'm not saying that that's the case i mean a lot of people do and i do see great results but less and less is that really that important to me um Mm -hmm. and i hope it's because i see them more as human beings and not as little uh check boxes on my like to-do list or or something you know Uh, but it's like it's it's not that it's not important. It's like it doesn't that doesn't define like who you are. Exactly. Is that, yeah. is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. it's also not your job when it comes down to it. Like that's you're you're definitely on to be the pastor and to be their priest, but it's not up to you whether or not you see the conversion or even if people do have some like wild conversion, you're gonna give it your best go, but at the end of the day, that's that's not your job to do that. It's that's the I mean that's that's God's job at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And you're you're the arbiter of it, the sometimes the mediator of it, but yeah, you're not on for that. Relax. Um, you know, it's interesting. After ordination, and really just like that whole weekend, but then weeks following, and like being here at the parish, and uh, kind of getting over the excitement of the initial ordination, and allowing um, some more like time-tested experiences and relationships to come in instead of just this overwhelming sense of excitement and like a lot of very, very rich sensate experiences, but that are ultimately, you know, they, they kind of come and go, but actually getting here into the parish and seeing people, um, it's interesting what you were talking about where you're starting to realize more and more, maybe live into the reality that, um, it's not about like seeing, seeing the results where it's, it's about coming in and, doing the little things that the Lord asks you to do each day and like allowing him to do his work. And it's not up to you to produce the results that you being there is enough. And that's primarily what God is asking you to do is to be there as a priest and to be faithful to him and to be faithful to your people. And and he'll take care of the rest is I also like being here at the parish and even with my family to some extent, but I have never felt so much love for having done so little. <laughs> I'm like, I haven't even, I've literally done nothing. I haven't done anything here at this parish and people are losing their minds that there's, there's just a young, uh, new deacon here. There's someone here that's like being ordained and pursuing the priesthood. And 
I, I haven't done anything to produce any sort of results or to like show really any value um, in, in the utilitarian sense of, um, of thinking. I, I haven't done any of that. But the people, in a lot of ways, have really represented God's love for me, especially these past couple of weeks, um, and being grounded more and more. And like me just being here and just being around the people is enough for the people. And they are just super excited for me to be here and have like very generously invited me into their homes. I've done nothing for them. I've only come in and they've fed me. Like I've just eaten their food and they're super excited for me to do that. And so it's been like very representative of that reality that um, like I don't, I, I guess I don't have to produce any results this summer. I just am going to be try and love people to the best of my ability and, uh, like be loved by them, which has just been, it's been super fun and enjoyable. Um, but yeah, I've never been so felt so loved for doing so little. Like I just walk around and people are excited to, to see me. They, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, man. Our jobs are ridiculous. Uh, yeah, but I think that, uh, and I'm not saying this has happened to me. I, I totally hear what you're saying, but on the flip side, it, a day could easily come where you feel as a priest that I have never done so much and been loved so little. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no, not really. I don't. But I do. I, you can imagine it. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, even, if, even if it's not true, you can tell yourself that or you can, you can believe it. Um, I've had shades of it kind of dawning on me like, does anyone care that I'm here or doing this? And I, I know that people, I mean, people shower me with all sorts of affection and praise and, oh, Father, we love you. And But I guess it's, I, I was worried for a bit that like, am I just becoming indifferent to this? I still love my life and love what I do. And I'm constantly thinking about how to do it better and and feel this interior motivation to get out there and preach the kingdom and and get people into it but at the same time like the the high of like preaching what i feel is an awesome homily and hearing people say like that changed my total my view and oh my gosh that was exactly what i needed to hear or even like these emails from the the podcast i mean keep them coming we want your praise but um <laughs> we need it you know like I, I guess more and more i'm like well that doesn't satisfy either you know um oh, yeah yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I, yeah, I'm again, just getting down to basics of like, how do I live a good day and mm -hmm. feel that that is enough? You know, like I go to bed early, early to rise, do the breviary, make a good visit to the Blessed Sacrament, work out, do the work that's expected of me and go above and beyond, but also have deep uh, relationships with people I really trust, i.e. friends and family, um, do and see things that are beautiful, read good books. Like, I think that just the normal daily goodness is what really, you know, centered on God, headed in a direction. And then, and then like, whatever happens to you, whether people appreciate it or not, um, and I'm sure that that, ha that will have a much bigger effect on people in actual fact than 
a baller homily that you get a bunch of praise for or a sick podcast that's the best podcast in existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, it's such a simple thought, but it, it's hard to live that way, I think. Yeah, well, definitely. Especially because you're like, you're saying that, well, it, it's so easy when you have that baller homily and then, yeah, you see the fruits of your labor immediately and you have the satisfaction of someone coming up and kind of like instant gratification, but I mean, I mean, it's a little bit deeper than that. Um, but it sounds like what you're talking about is like, I, I do not know that from experience. Right. Um, I've heard my, my father talk like that, but that's some veteran stuff that you're talking about. And I'm just down here sitting on cloud nine, like just enjoying being ordained. Do it. Be, be, enjoy it. I don't mean, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to stop talking now. (laughs) No, 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 no. But it's good to hear as well, because like you said, like those things, they are going to pass and they, in some sense they do satisfy because I think it is real love and I think there is real relationship that's formed there. And so there's no discredit to that, but uh, there's going to come a point in time, like you said, where there's something, there's something even deeper that's going to be needed to to satisfy, and that's where it comes back to like it's the the Lord. The Lord is it that satisfies, and when all the people are not there, or the people, because <clears throat> if the people come, the people can also go. But the Lord is always faithful, yes. you know, and so always coming back to Him as as that rock. Dude, this reminds me of uh, about a week ago. I listened to this podcast that uh, the guy's name is Brett McKay, the Art of Manliness podcast. And he had, do you guys remember the old show, uh, Dirty Jobs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The guy's name is Mike Rowe. So, uh, he had Mike Rowe on the podcast. And, um, so I guess Dirty Jobs is not a show anymore or whatever. And this guy, Mike, just like his whole kind of thing right now that he's working on in his life is advocating for blue collar work. And just had some really, really good points about, um, like why we need it and as a society and like why it's a really, you know, good thing for individual people too. And like offers really good careers in this day and age as, as well to kind of go back to not like falsely glorifying it, but just putting it in the proper place of being like a very important role in society. And uh, but anyway, one of the things he said that kind of stuck with me was just the notion of like the statement, follow your passion. And, you know, he said that's just such a fallacious statement that like, you know, you never like passion. It's so emotive that like you can't even common sense tells you like you can't follow it. Where is it actually going to to lead you to where like his whole point was like, just be a passionate person. So whatever you're doing, like work at it really, really hard. Um, and like, you're actually going to be happier from that than like trying to go find yourself in a sense, or do all these other, other things to quote unquote, follow, follow your passion. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I suck. That stuck with me a lot of, it's just setting into like, I'm pretty convinced as, and I guess I always thought this like abstractly, but um, I kind of get into even in the first week here, gotten into a nice routine of like just doing like returning emails and stuff like that, like doing some office work in in the morning um, right after right after mass. And 
just, I don't know, I mean, taken like pretty minimal discipline, but for a guy that's been on pilgrimage for the past like six months of his life, <laughs> done pretty much whatever he wants, it's been at least some discipline. Yeah. Anyway, um, and just that notion of like hard work is, is good work, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so I don't know if that fits exactly, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know, that definitely stuck with me from that podcast. Yeah, yeah do whatever you're doing passionately don't because yeah the follow your passion thing i guess um i I wrote this article i I haven't still haven't posted it but about the the millennial thing about i mean it's kind of a tired topic but i really do believe um that we heard a lot of that taught growing up but we're not taught like you'd hear follow your passion but not learn how to change a tire or uh, balance your, you know, a budget or yeah. fix things in your house or take clothes to the dry cleaner or do and do anything basic about like you, everything was just done for us or assume that we would just learn it on our own. And so now you see all these millennials that are like <coughs> proud of themselves because, Hey, look, I had an adult day. I, you know, went to the grocery and cooked food myself and <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true. I've experienced that. I've had that feeling. Uh, like that wasn't somehow that we, we were just not, we didn't get go through the classes that the previous generations must have had. Um, and so we had to yeah. kind of figure it out on our own. And so we'd heard a lot of follow your passion, but you kind of, it's such a nebulous thing. Like you're saying, like your passion changes or uh the gospel reading today what if the salt loses its flavor well what if the salt of like your passion stops being so exciting to you but Mm -hmm. you were so passionate about it you threw your whole self at it to the point of no return and then you're like well is this really my only judge of what i should do was whether i felt really passionate about it uh and now i don't feel passionate about this anymore well then you're gonna burn out and uh not do a good job but like i guess what i'm saying is like the consistency of it because honestly in the first couple of years the the biggest uh crucifixion was sunday night after a really really busy day of doing a lot and being around a lot of people and people all over you just like needing you and um you feel like you're just being really fruitful with like your work is just bearing fruit hundredfold um and then they all go home and then you go home and then you're by yourself. And you're just like, well, now what am I doing? My work is not bearing fruit. I like you, you, it is like a high. It's just a rush of um, being needed and wanted and loved and loving and connecting and relationality and all that stuff psychologically is very consoling even though it's also difficult, it's, it's taxing and exhausting, but then you find yourself exhausted and alone. And, um, I brought this to my spiritual director and, and he's like, in those moments you should kneel down and put your arms out like you're being crucified and just tell God, I am completely powerless. And, uh, without you, I can do nothing. Teach me how much I need you. Um, Dude, I remember you telling me. I remember, I, I remember you told me this story. And yeah. I, I even remember what your spiritual director said, which it blew my mind. I actually pray with it quite a bit. 
He said, you're experiencing the limitation of your humanity, of being human. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you're realizing you're not God. <laughs> exactly. That's what you're realizing. And that's that's your salvation, not doing all sorts of great things and making this huge impact on the world and everyone will remember who you are and you'll be totally irreplaceable and no priest will ever be as good as you. Like that's these, these little diabolical things that get in there as like the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. But the reason you're doing what you're doing is because it's the will of God and he's told you to do it and all you want to hear in the end is well done, good and faithful servant. And everything you did was only by his grace and with the talents he gave you and everything you have is a gift. Um, so that, uh, I don't know if it's veteran stuff, but it's just, I mean, you got to keep reminding yourself of that all the time. Um, because that's, that's the prime directive. That's why we're here. Yeah. Whether you're a priest or, or not, your job is to do God's will. So mm. I feel like I'm always a downer on these things, man. <laughs> you guys are all pumped up. We're new deacons. Isn't it awesome? You're like the 72 disciples coming back and like we even the demons trembled at your name. And, and Jesus is like, let's go off into a deserted place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it keeps, we'll just, it keeps the podcast balanced, you know? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, we don't want a bunch of these these Pollyanna young bucks, you know. Oh, everything's so great. You know, you need you need the kind of old fogey guy to come in and be like, Yeah, well, you don't even know. Yeah, yeah. All that actually sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, even yesterday, the, the Beatitudes I read, I, I didn't get to preach on it, but I haven't preached a daily Mass yet. I've only done Sunday Masses. and uh, But when I was preparing something just in case I had to, um, you realize all of the people who are receiving stuff from the, from the Beatitudes, like, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the pure of heart. You know, most of those people are like the suffering people, but are the people who are are able to, because of whatever poverty they have or like whatever state in life they're in, they're the ones who are able to actually receive the kingdom or receive whatever gift that God gives them. But they're all very poor people or like they're, you know, they're not the, the ones who are necessarily blessed. And I honestly, like in seminary, I did have some things that um, like I just knew I wasn't good at. There were things that I was very, very afraid of and things that I just didn't want to do. And they were legitimately, like, I was interiorly impoverished. And I knew that I couldn't do that without God. And it was many, many years like that. And I look back and they were clearly some of the biggest graces of keeping me in the prime directive in, like, Christ. Because I knew I couldn't go anywhere without Him. And I know that... that uh, well, it's tough to speak about abstractly, but sometimes those places where, like at least in, in my own time in seminary, where I knew that I couldn't do it without God and knew that I was actually super poor there, they were the most painful for sure, but they were also the biggest graces long term. Um, yeah. yeah. Very different perspective on things right now, though, mm -hmm. because that is not how I feel at all. Interesting about that blue-collar work, too. Um, I think that's another thing our generation kind of longs for is, like, honest work, the feeling of a job well done. And 
that's a that's also a difficult thing when your your life is very either creative or administrative that's a lot of what i'm doing is either yeah. creating something writing a homily <clears throat> thinking of something to say or administrative uh yeah. you know figuring out how we're going to pay for this and um making calendars and you know organizing groups and things like that there's also mm-hmm. the um visiting people and making connections going to the hospital uh checking in on people things like that but all of it is none of it is really building anything like i'm not making a table and then giving it to a family to eat dinner on that's a concrete thing that you can say you did and made um you know who i'm actually thinking is a pretty cool example of that or at least I hey, Rob, you, you, you went to the computer mic too something happened oh hang on <laughs> is that what i sound yeah. like <laughs> yeah all tinny oh gosh is that any better yeah they were, that's better okay. okay um the uh or i was thinking of father fransman old father dog emeritus yeah mm-hmm. and uh oh gosh he he does just crack me up in a lot of ways but he's a darn good priest you know and uh i remember father presta telling this story one time i don't know if it might have been when father presta was like the rector of St. Joe's, the college seminary or something. Somehow he's in a conversation with Father Fransman. And uh, Father Fransman's advice to Father Presta, he was like, tell the guys that they have to have hobbies. Like, get them hobbies. And I don't think what he meant by that was like, oh, just fill your vacant, vacant time with like all this stuff. Like, he wasn't advocating that just to, <laughs> hurt, like, to try to find fulfillment in it. But I just thought about that in his life. It was literally... He's always like working on a truck or like getting some new thing for the seminary and like trying to fix it up or whatever. And uh, I don't know. Like I never thought about that too much before now, really. But even in that, like he's a blue collar priest, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I like a lot, actually. Yeah. And you can see he's very fulfilled as well. And, and, I mean, not necessarily through the hobbies, but he's a very, very happy priest, and you can see it flat out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminds me, my dad would always tell these stories about when they would get back from deployment for long periods of time, or even if they would go into port somewhere, 100% of the time, because the sailors had no hobbies, and they weren't in life-threatening situations, so they, like, you know, felt like they were invincible and also didn't know what to do with their free time and money— they would 100% of the time go out and drink too much and get thrown in jail. Like they would at (laughs) least have, you know, X number of guys that would go out and do it. And he said the same thing. He said, these guys, they had no hobbies. Or when they would get back after these like six month deployments at home with their families, they would have, they would have no hobbies. So then a lot of them would turn to drinking or things that were obviously not, um, not very healthy, um, because they didn't have those hobbies. Uh, not that hobbies are the savior. I mean, I, I guess I don't really know how the hobbies play into a, um, a healthy lifestyle. But yeah, he mentioned the same thing as well. well I think just, I just thought of, just, I thought of Fransman just with the notion of like blue collar work. It's like that's what that guy does in his free time, you know? Yeah, and it's it's interesting you went to hobbies because I was thinking of that as well. Um, like just in the past month or so. 
I've started playing the saxophone again, which is really? kind of, yeah. So I've had it. I, I almost sold it before I became a priest because it was just sitting in my room in the seminary. I didn't play it a single time the entire time I was there. I hadn't really been in any kind of band with it since my freshman year of college. But it was my passion, so to speak, in high school was jazz and uh, improvisation. And it was like what I did with my free time was practice and go play with other people, um, jam, things like that. And that led me into the guitar in college. And that was kind of my musical outlet. I've always been into music, but um, like jazz was my thing in, in high school, which is kind of embarrassing to say it's a little nerdy, but, uh, I think, I think it's cool. And I, I certainly thought it was cool then. And, uh, I just picked the thing up and it's like riding a bike. You know, a lot of it is sort of just deep in my muscle memory from that. They say that about, um, things you learn when you're an adolescent that's like the best time to learn something like a language or an instrument or uh, any kind of technique because your brain is like forming permanent connections uh, for the rest of your life. Mm. And it, it's just deep in there. And, um, and it's cool. It's been a cool hobby because I'm just playing by myself. And now with the internet, it's so much easier to get these like play along things. Um, so you can just sit in your room and jam like you're with an actual jazz combo. Uh, and I still have a bunch of music that I, I mean, this is how into it I was. I would listen to jazz records on a CD player and pause it like every measure and try to figure out on my sax what the guy was playing. So I had wow. these like heroes like uh, Coltrane and Sonny Rollins and Stan Getz and like some of the biggest guys from like the 50s and 60s when it was kind of the height of bebop and that I'm not talking about Kenny G and stuff like that. In other words, it was, it was like real jazz from the high, the golden age. And uh, that was part of our my lessons with the, the guy I would go take lessons from is transcribe this solo. I really like this guy's solo on this song. And so I'm going to try to transcribe it, figure it out, write it down, and then figure out what chords he's playing them over, like what the piano player is playing. So then you can say like, okay, when, the, you know, memorize this uh phrase that the guy does you know so that you can just get it in your get it in your bones for when you're impro improvising it'll just like come out naturally and memorize it in all 12 keys and mm. like it was uh i mean it it shows me it, in other words i never really mastered the instrument i'm not an excellent player i'm a, a probably decent one but i know how to achieve mastery in it i just never did it you know mm -hmm. um i got a tenth of the way there. Um, so having done that, you appreciate when you do see a master, you know. So we would go down to the jazz showcase in Chicago. And Chicago is kind of like the second city of uh, all things. But jazz, you know, like New York and L.A. are the big places. But Chicago would get these big name guys in. And me and my friend and his dad would go uh, see him when they came in town. And I remember just being awed by it. And it was truly like a hobby and a passion. And mm -hmm. just recently, uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm, I, you know, I know what it is, is now I'm by myself in the house. And I've always thought to myself, hearing somebody practice saxophone has got to be the most annoying thing in the world, besides someone practicing drums. Or bagpipes. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm alone in the house. So after everybody's gone, all the meetings are over, I can play like at nine o'clock to 10, uh, <laughs> just 
just honk on this thing. And it is, it's a good uh, release. And I, you know, it's not some kind of destructive behavior in order to just pass time or to wallow away uh, loneliness. It's like here I'm doing something productive and it even connected me to the, I, I needed some stuff for it. So I looked up, are there any music shops around here? And here in town, there's a guy who's had a music shop for like over a decade who teaches lessons to kids and is this super cool guy and he's come to my church before but I never really met him uh, and we got to talking for like an hour in his shop and um, so it connects you and that that's what you saw with Father Franzmuth his hobbies connected him to people that would never talk to a priest normally probably yeah you know yeah. Um, and it enriched his life and theirs and I think also because men are doers we we tend to relate when we have common projects or common interests, you know, our friendships yeah. have to be about something uh, other than just here's what I'm feeling or, you know, uh, we don't relate that way in like just sharing ourselves. We need to be doing something together. So, yeah. And there's also, there's like some sort of a satisfaction. Rob, there's something going on with your mic. Yeah. Are you like scratching? Yeah. Is something moving around? Oh, I was a little bit. Okay. I'll, is that good? Are you like walking good? around with your with your rig, dude? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty, well, I have like a suite, and so it's anyway. I'll stop moving. Okay. Is it good? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I think there's like there's deep satisfaction and just just listening to you talk when whenever I've found something that I I work on and you have to like build up to it and put it together. Uh, there is so much enjoyment when you realize you do have mastery over creation and there's like, there's order to it. Things fit in a certain way and your brain understands that and you get to use your hands um, to like actually interact with real physical things and play music that like structures in a certain way or um, there's a couple, well, my brothers are going to live pretty close down the street and we want to improve this summer. We've talked about, wanting to improve on working on cars. So like nothing complicated, but like being able to do some of the more basic stuff so that we don't have to go and get it taken care of. And like just the little work that I've done with that, uh, it's just super enjoyable to see how things work and then to realize that your brain can know it and your brain can like, and you can change things with your hands. And I don't know, there's a deep sense of satisfaction there that like for the most part, I'm writing or talking with to people all day. And like, I don't, I don't change creation with my hands or like shape things and move things. And like, I don't, I don't create a lot of physical stuff. So there is something very enjoyable about it. Even walking in, there were people mowing the yard and I, I ran in and grabbed them a water. Um, cause I remember my mom used to always do that with the, with the garbage men who would come. It's hot as the dickens down here. Oh my gosh. It's hot here. I can only imagine oh in Georgia. God. But like, I longed to pick up a weed eater and like weed eat the side and edge and, and like create something beautiful, you know, and like, it's nothing complicated, but there is, I don't know. There's something deeply satisfying about, about doing that, like showing mastery over creation and mm -hmm. the beauty of the mind and seeing how all of it fits together. And yeah, it was like Adam's primary vocation was to master and, and beautify I mean, it's a garden, the whole thing. The earth is this garden. It's this raw material that God created in order to inspire the creativity of man so that he could image him, you know? 
and you can write a story, you can write a homily, you can, I mean, those things are, are affecting creation, but like you're saying, like the physical world too, we are body and soul, that I've always, uh, I've not always been a hard worker. I don't even know if I'm a hard worker now. I, I do work hard, but by nature, I think I, I'm kind of a layabout. And it's only by the grace of God that I've ever <clears throat> become like passionate enough about something or loved something enough to really work hard at it. Um, but uh, I do, I have always loved mastering things. Even one of the first things I remember loving to master was altar serving. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've told this story, but it's just simple. I was a public school kid and our parish had daily masses at 655 and 830 every morning. So the school kids from the Catholic school would go serve the 830 masses. But whoever was organizing the altar servers uh, would have the public school kids do the early mass before school. And they would just assign them like a week at a time, just for simplicity's sake. So they didn't have to have a different kid coming every morning um, in case they didn't show up. Like you'd, you'd get a kid you could rely on would be there and just give them all five days, you know. And so a few times I did this and my dad, who wasn't Catholic at the time, would be would drive me to early mass before he went to work and then drop me off at school. And um, the first time serving by yourself, because up until then, I'd always been at the Sunday masses that had like three servers and they were all older kids and they would do all the work and I would just kind of try not to look stupid. Um, but now it was all on me. And there was this old guy who was probably the sacristan who would sit up near the front and if I ever didn't know what to do, he'd kind of like gently whisper and gesture, you know, now you do this or you bring the chalices now or now you need to wash the priest's hands. And, and by the end of the week, I pretty much had it. And then the next time I did it for a week, I was like totally I needed like one day to remember everything. And then I was and that really made me happy that um, I knew what I was doing. And then at the end, the priest would say good job and and stuff. And I remember even one lady came up to me after mass and she said, I love when you serve the mass, you do it so reverently. And that just made me feel like the king of the world. <laughs> um, so there's something to be said about, I, I still take that memory into my own training of the altar servers now <clears throat> and how I relate to them, uh, you know, praise them for doing well, uh, correct them, you know, gently so that they can get better. Um, you know, because we want to, we want to be masters of ourselves and make things beautiful and better. Uh, yeah. What were we talking about again? Hobbies. <laughs> hobbies. Blue collar. No. Blue what collar are your What are your guys' hobbies? What do you do? Well, that's part of like being in a new place. Is I have to figure out what my hobbies are here. Uh, what have been your hobbies in the past? Basketball? Definitely sports. Um, I mean, you, you, you unicycled. I did unicycle. Mm-hmm. I, I unicycled well. I, I could unicycle on a six-foot unicycle. I don't know if y'all knew that. It was pretty bizarre to watch. Um, One of my earliest hobbies was origami. I would make things with paper. I'd get, oh, all, wow. sorts of, I'd get all sorts of books. On, uh, maybe it's because my brothers and my sister were far apart in years from me that I had to have a lot of these solo hobbies yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and made for a good preparation for celibacy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I love building forts, mm. like con- constructing things, um, not permanently, but just like a temporary hideout out in the woods or in, in, in my room or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. What about you, Rob? Did you have any hobbies? Um, I mean, my number one hobby is deer hunting for sure. Uh, it's always been like just, you know, it's interesting growing up, growing up, I would say my hobby was always baseball. Like I loved to watch baseball and play baseball. And I remember probably like my sophomore year of high school, I just came to the realization and I mean, it was small school baseball, but I was pretty decent at it. And even like playing on the varsity team that year, I just came to this like realization that like my baseball career was going to end after high school. Like that was, that was it. Like just in no way did I have a shot to play at the next level, let alone ever be like a pro baseball player, you know, um, like not strong enough arm, good enough bat, big enough, et cetera. Um, and so that kind of fit, like, I still love to watch sports. Um, but I think a lot of that, that drive fizzled out then. Um, but hunting has always been, oh man, I don't know. That's, and even then, even over sports, like once I started to deer hunt, that was always number one. And there's something just cool about that, like hanging stands and doing the prep work and harvesting deer. And, you know, you just go through the whole thing. Like you clean the deer, um, we freeze it, we process it all and then eat it like throughout the year, you know? So, which is super fun and, um always do you feel but, like that's something uh, you got better at or you continue to get better at oh yeah 100 percent. yep 100 you get you get much 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 better on i mean there's just so much that goes in you know so much of the prep work like anything is like you, you know huge the differences of like deer you'll see like where you position your stands and how you go into the woods and like how you pay attention to what the wind is doing compared to like where the woods are and where the deer are moving. And even once you see deer, then like your own approach to it is huge of like, if you're going to get a shot or not. And like, I'm a much better shooter than I was five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, so I mean, yeah, there's as you know, just like any, just like basketball or music or whatever, like, you know, there's much like experience is a huge thing in, in hunting. Um, but something I, I've always enjoyed and I enjoy like more and more now is, I don't know, my dad probably, my dad did not build our house, but like once our house was built, my mom and dad's house growing up, I mean, except for the plumbing, um, like if, if there's anything ever with like a toilet or a sink, my dad really doesn't do that. But pretty much everything else he does by himself. So like he completely finished our basement. Um, you know, he did just, yeah, everything. So I remember being little and like the studs of the walls, like going up and like him just teaching me how to measure that stuff mm, and, and yeah. put those up and. Um, even last winter, like my mom wanted to move where the TV is in the living room. So him and I just like, you know, ran the cable wire. We did a splitter down in the, in the basement just to make another outlet. And 
like fished it through the wall. And I mean, it took us probably like four or five hours to do this, cut the hole in the wall, put the box in, et cetera. And, uh, it was awesome. So that type of stuff. Yeah. I love yard work, uh, et cetera. So literally my prayer one day is that like, I'll have a parish and I'll be able to like help with the yard work. Like I'll make <laughs> enough time to help. With we the all yard have work. to dream Rob. I know that's, that's like, that would be, um, yeah, that would be pretty amazing if that, if that worked out. So those are my hobbies. And another thing. Have we ever talked about the book, uh, A Severe Mercy on this podcast? Yeah, a couple times. I've never read it. Okay. Well, anyway, it's similar of like, there was a, uh, there's a part, my favorite part in it. It's, it's like one paragraph where. They're talking about how they fell in love, the the couple that the book is about. And in a sense, they just make that decision that, um, like, whatever one of them enjoys, like, the other one will find or at least, like, be open to the enjoyment of it. So that's how they would spend their days of, like, I love this. Let's go do it together. And the other one was just, like, even if they didn't have like a natural disposition to to enjoy it or love it, like they were open to it and they would go with the other person and like find in a sense, find the good in that in that thing, um, which is very cool. Like it just I think it really orchestrated them eventually seeing the world. I would I would call like in a sacramental, you know, in a sacramental way. Um, but. I don't know. It's very true. And it kind of does weirdly tie in even back to like that blue collar work thing. Like one of the stories that, um, stuck out with me from that same podcast I was talking about that he was talking, Mike Rowe was talking about, you know, some guy he knew is a, he, in a sense, like he, for a living, he started this company that empties, uh, septic tanks. So like literally, probably the worst like smelling job you can think of. And, but he was like, no, I just saw a market for it and, you know, started this company and had a lot of success. And, and so he asked him, you know, it was like, well, did you enjoy that work in a sense? Like, was that work your passion? And the guy was like, Oh, you know, not, not really, but I was able to be home with my kids every night and like provide a really good living for, for my family. And yeah, I guess the work ended in itself ended up, be, you know, becoming enjoyable because, because of that. Um, and so I don't know if that like ties in exactly, but it's just that whole notion of, I think I may have told this story on the podcast before, but I'll retell it just in case of like one of the all time big graces in my prayer life was just realizing that the stuff that I enjoy is a gift from God and he wants to talk about that stuff with me. So like if I'm um like going to go into pray for a while and what is on my mind when I go into pray is that the Cardinals like had lost the night before or something like that. Like maybe that's actually what I need to start that prayer time with. You know, it always started, it was just, I was thinking about like, you know, I'm very blessed to be close to my own dad. And we've definitely had some good heart to hearts throughout the years and everything. Um, 
But honestly, 99% of our conversations between my dad and I either revolve around deer hunting, like some project going on the house, grocery stores, the fighting Illini, or St. Louis Cardinals. Like, if you had to guess, that's what our conversations are going to revolve around. Um, and it was just this realization of, like, I can talk to God about that stuff, too. And always, like, 100% of the time, I've, I've let myself have the freedom to do that. It's led into, like, very deep, intimate prayer with, with especially God the Father, I think, that realizing something like that can be, um, I don't know, just a gift of him from him to me, you know, and that he wants to experience it with me, like enjoyment of, of the world that we've been talking about. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts on it. I don't know where I started with that. Oh yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? Hello? Hey, I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Were you speaking? Yeah, I was. Did you not hear it? No. No, dude, we didn't get anything. Oh, sorry. Um, I was saying it's getting long and I have to go to a wake, but I did want to mention that your little thing about the love of the world reminded me of Jaber Crow, which I finished a couple weeks ago. Wow. That story of him loving the people in his life, loving his small town, loving his work, his simple, like being a barber, that this job he kind of fell into, he didn't follow his passion. But there was a guy who really loved the world and... I mean, we said it in the reading for Trinity Sunday. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Mm. That doesn't just that doesn't mean he just loved human souls uh, or whatever. It's it's a article of faith that God was not content to just have armies of angels singing his praise for all eternity. He what he really wanted was us lumps of breathing dirt to turn our faces to him and give him praise and enjoy the world that he made for us to live in. So shouldn't surprise us that he might be interested in our hobbies or our baseball teams or whatever, because he gave them to us. That's all I have to say about that. Hang it, dude. I did not expect this podcast to come together, but I think we just nailed it. Mm -hmm. That's one way to look at it. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.